0: Some people are scared of God. Some people are scared of God. For them, God is an awesome, all-powerful God. He's holy in every way. Not only is he the God of perfection, but he's the God who demands perfection. He's the all-seeing God, the God who knows our thoughts and knows our hearts. And he's also the God who judges justly the sins of people. For some people, God is a scary God. They're scared of him. And yet for other people, they're not scared of God at all. For them, God is a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. A God who is our Heavenly Father and our friend. A God who loves us and a God who only ever gives us good things. Some people aren't scared of God at all. But what about you? How do you feel about God? Does God scare you? Are you scared of God? Particularly if you're a Christian, should you be scared of God? Or shouldn't you be scared of him? Well, these are the questions that I want us to be thinking about this morning. As we turn our attention once again to the book of Exodus. And if you don't already have your Bibles open in front of you, at exodus chapter 25 can i encourage you to turn there now page 58 of the small print 125 of the large print bibles exodus chapter 25. now you'll remember that in our story god has just appeared to the israelites he's appeared to them on mount sinai and he's appeared to them in a very scary fashion indeed do you remember he appeared to them by way of thunder and lightning and billowing black smoke. He appeared to them by way of trumpet blast, an earthquake. Do you remember this? And do you remember how the Israelites responded? Well, they trembled in terror, didn't they? They were petrified. And so they said to Moses, they said, Moses, you, you go on up the mountain. You, you go on up, you go speak to him. We don't want to have anything to do with him. We don't want to be near him. You go speak to him. You find out what he wants. And then you come back and you tell us what he wants. See, they're scared to death. So I'm sure you can imagine the alarm that must have spread through the Israelite camp. When Moses did go up the mountain, then he came back down and he told the Israelites that God had now decided to move in with them that God had now decided to be their neighbor. In today's passage we hear God speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. We first hear of God's intent to come and dwell among the Israelites. God tells Moses to have the Israelites go around and take up a free will offering of precious metals and precious fabrics, things that would be used in the construction of a new house for God, a sanctuary. The word that God uses in this passage is the word tabernacle, which simply means tent. The Israelites are to build a tent, a tabernacle for God. But they're to build it exactly according to the instructions that God will give them. Read with me Exodus chapter 25 from verse 1. 25-1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. then have them make a sanctuary for me and i will dwell among them make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern i will show you and then then god goes on to give moses this this pattern or, or the plans for how the tabernacle and its furniture are to be constructed. Now, at this point, let me make a little confession to you. A little confession. When I first saw that I was preaching this particular passage today, my first response was furniture. I've got to preach on furniture. Jeff gets the Passover, he gets the parting of the Red Sea, he gets the Ten Commandments. I get furniture. I hate furniture. My idea of torture is a day trapped in an Ikea store (laughs) which happened to me not so long ago. Fact is I didn't want to preach on furniture but can I say, can I say I reckon that's simply because I did not understand the true significance of what's going on here in this passage. See in the book of Exodus, the tabernacle and its furniture, they are really, really important. In fact, from this point until the end of the book, the tabernacle and its furniture, they're going to feature prominently. So I hope that by the end of today's sermon, you too will come to see why they're so important. So let's have a look now at some of the tabernacle furnishings. First of all, the ark, the ark. God tells Moses to put an ark in the tabernacle. Here's an artist's illustration of what the ark might have looked like. The ark was essentially a box, a chest, about 110 centimetres by 70 centimetres by 70 centimetres. And it was to be covered in pure gold both inside and out. Inside the ark, Moses was to put the Ten Commandments. On top of the ark, he was to put a lid made out of pure gold the lid was called the atonement cover the atonement cover and it had two cherubim on top angel-like creatures read with me chapter 25 from verse 10 25 10. have them make a chest of acacia wood two and a half cubits long a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high overlay it with pure gold both inside and out And make a gold moulding around it. Now jump down to verse 16. Then put in the ark the testimony, the Ten Commandments, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. You see, this ark, this ark that is to be built, it is dripping with symbolism. It is the place where God's law and God's mercy come together. There inside the ark is the law, the Ten Commandments. There on top of it is the atonement cover. See, what we've got here is the law, God's demand for obedience, together with his willingness to forgive, coming together. And so the Israelites, they've now got to build this ark and they've got to build it exactly according to the instructions that God's given them. Then there was the table, the table that the Israelites were to build and put into the tabernacle. Here's an artist's illustration of what the table might have looked like. The table was 90 centimetres by 50 centimetres by 70 centimetres high. And it too was to be made out of wood and then covered with pure gold. And on the table, the Israelites were to place 12 loaves of bread. It was known as the bread of the presence. And it was to be eaten by the priests and replaced every single Sabbath. So, you see, it was important that this bread be constantly on this table. Read with me chapter 25, verse 30. 25, 30. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Again, the table dripping with symbolism. The 12 loaves of bread... Symbolising, well, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. And this bread, it was to be constantly there, present on this table. I reckon it's a picture of the way that God would constantly provide bread for the 12 tribes of Israel. That he would constantly provide for his people. Next, the Israelites were to construct a lampstand. A lampstand that they were to put into the tabernacle. Here's an artist's impression of the lampstand. So it too was to be built of pure gold. It was to have a base and a central shaft, and then from the central shaft, there were to be these six branches, making a total of seven lamps. The lampstand, it was to be decorated with gold cups, shaped like almond flowers. The lamp, it was to be put inside the tabernacle, just outside of the most inner sanctum, just outside, the most holy place. And there it was go- to give constant light to this space. Read with me from chapter 25, verse 37. Twenty-five, thirty-seven. Then make its seven lamps and set them up on it so that you light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So there you again, you see God stressing that all these items need to be made exactly as he says. And again, like the other furniture, the lampstand dripping with symbolism. It had seven lamps. Seven. Why Seven seven being the number uh, symbolising divine perfection. And the light of the lamp, of course, shone right there in that space, just outside the most holy place, symbolising that the way now, the way into God's presence had now been illuminated. And And then God gives Moses instructions for the construction of, well, the tabernacle itself. Here's an artist's impression of the tabernacle. As I've already said, the tabernacle is essentially a tent. It was 13.5 metres long, 4.5 metres wide and 4.5 metres high. And as you can see, it had two rooms inside it. There was the most holy place there on the right. It was also called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark was kept. And this is the one place on earth where God met with his people now, this room, it could only ever be entered by the high priest, and even then, only once a year. Then, the other room, it was called the Holy Place. That's the room on the left there. It was separated from the most holy place by a beautifully embroidered curtain. Inside this room was the table and the lampstand. Now, any of the priests were allowed to come into this area. But but certainly none of the common people. And again, it was crucial that the tabernacle be set up exactly like God told them. Read with me chapter 26 from verse 30. 26, 30. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood, overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite on the south side. So what does this tabernacle symbolise? Well, I think it symbolises a couple of things. Firstly, I dare say it symbolises that, that the reality that God really wants to dwell with his people. God really wants to dwell with his people. But it also symbolises the fact that that it's just not possible for simple people, sinful people, to simply waltz on in to the presence of God. Only a very few people, few people could go inside the tabernacle and even fewer into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. See, access was very limited. And then there was the altar of burnt offering. There was this wooden altar covered in bronze. Here's a picture. It was 2.3 metres by 2.3 metres by 1.3 metres high. But again, we see God stressing that it has to be built just like he says. Read with me, chapter 27, verse 8. 27:8. Make the altar hollow out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. See, every time now, every time someone approached the tabernacle... They first had to pass by this altar of burnt offering. It was a stark symbolic reminder wasn't it? A stark symbolic reminder that no one can come into the presence of God without some kind of sacrificial substitution, without something dying in your place first. And then surrounding the tabernacle and the altar of burnt offering was a courtyard like a a perimeter fence, 7.5 metres high. Here's an artist's impression. Now, any old Israelite could go into the courtyard. The fence itself, it was made from acacia wood pillars and linen curtains sewn together to form a screen that went all the way around the tabernacle. The tent pegs and the hooks that were used to hold the curtains, they were made of bronze and silver. So do you notice, do you notice the, the way that the further you get away from the most holy place, the further you get away from the presence of God, well, the less valuable the, the materials that are used in the construction here. So it's, it's symbolic of the worth, the majesty, the holiness of the God who lives right there in the centre of this tabernacle. And then finally in today's passage, we're told that the oil to be used for the lampstands it's to be as, as pure as it comes. Again, symbolising the absolute purity that God demands. So there we have it. That's the instructions for how the tabernacle and its furnishings are to be made. Together, the whole thing would have looked something like this. Except, of course, it was right in the middle of the Israelite camp. So it probably looked something more like this. I guess as we read this passage, we can't help but notice that there's this stress throughout it, this stress that all things have to be made one particular way. They have to be made exactly according to the plan of God. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Why is it that God is so finicky about the Israelites making all this stuff exactly like he says? Why did everything have to be made according to his plan? Well, I actually think that there's two answers to that question, two answers. Firstly, firstly we need to realize that the ultimate purpose of that tabernacle was actually to point to something greater than itself. The tabernacle, you see, was like a big road sign that told you what was on the road up ahead. Although the tabernacle provided the Israelites with a place where they could come and meet with God, it was never God's intention that this tabernacle be the final expression of how people were to come and meet with him. No, in fact the very purpose of this tabernacle was to show that free and unlimited access to God had not yet been established. In this tabernacle It was impossible for normal, sinful people to just waltz into the presence of God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 8, we read this. The writer puts it this way. In speaking of the limitations of the tabernacle, he says, and it'll come up, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing you see the tabernacle it was like a big road sign that was pointing to something greater than itself something that was on the road up ahead to show uh, that, that it showed that something uh was up ahead that would give free and unlimited access to the presence of god and of course christians We know that the old testament tabernacle actually pointed to the lord jesus christ don't we the one who does give us true and unlimited access into the presence of god he is if you like the true tabernacle the true place where god and his people come together to meet in the gospel of john chapter 1 verse 14 we read the word that is Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Our NIV Bibles read, he made his dwelling among us, but literally it's he tabernacled among us. You see, the tabernacle that Moses built there in Exodus was actually a big road sign that pointed to the true tabernacle that was yet to come, Jesus Christ. And so it shouldn't surprise us When we look at the various symbolism that's there in the old testament tabernacle and we find its fullest expression in jesus christ the ark the ark symbolized god's law and mercy coming together well friends where do we see that with greater clarity than when jesus jesus the law keeper died on the cross in complete obedience to god why so that he might bring mercy to his people Law and mercy come together, you see, in Jesus. The table. The table symbolised God's eternal provision for his people. Well, where else do we see that with greater clarity than in Jesus, the bread of life, the one who provides us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? The lampstand. The lampstand illuminated the way into the presence of God. Well, where does that find greater reality than in Jesus Christ, the light of the world? The altar of burnt offering symbolised the need for sacrificial substitution before entering the presence of God. Well, where else does that find greater reality than in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world? The tabernacle... The tabernacle was the one place on earth where God and people met together well where does that find greater reality than in Jesus Christ Emmanuel God with us God dwelling among us in a tent of flesh and blood in a human body so now do you see now do you see why it was so important that the Israelites follow God's instructions to the letter back there in exodus because ultimately that tabernacle was like a big road sign that pointed to something greater than itself something that was to come he pointed to jesus christ the true tabernacle but there is a second reason why it is so important that the israelites followed god's instructions to the letter it becomes very very clear that from these instructions that if the israelites were to ever safely dwell in the presence of this mighty awesome holy and and scary god they were gonna have to do it his way and on his terms the israelites they were scared of god and they had good reason to be i mean he didn't appear to them on mount sinai in the form of a kitten he appeared to them in the form of a billowing black smoke uh, lightning, thunder, earthquake, trumpet blasts. There was something very appropriate about the Israelites being scared of God. So, when God tells the Israelites that He's now moving into their community, that He's going to be their next door neighbour, well, suddenly it becomes very, very important that the Israelites build His house exactly as He says. It was the one way that the Israelites could safely dwell in the presence of God. And friends it's exactly the same with jesus christ the true tabernacle if you want to dwell safely in the presence of god then know that there is only one way that you can do that that's through jesus christ that's by meeting with god his way and on his terms through jesus christ by trusting in him by following him for he is god's true tabernacle And there is no other way it was jesus himself who said in john chapter 14 verse 6 no one no one comes to the father except through me just like there was no other way for the israelites in the old testament to meet with god than other than in the tabernacle built according to god's specifications well now there is no other way for us to meet with god other than in jesus christ and so again we see why it was so important that the israelites followed god's instructions to the letter and so now friends well now i think we're in a position to return to our initial question our initial question of whether or not we should be scared of god so what's the answer should we be scared of god well the answer is yes and no and yes (laughs) let me explain so the fact is god is an awesome and all-powerful god he is holy in every way he is perfect and he does demand perfection we on the other hand are miserable sinners friends yes we ought to be scared of god but then For those of us who are christians where we come into the presence of god through jesus christ the true tabernacle the one place for sinners like you and me to have free unlimited and safe access to god and so and so no no we're not scared at all hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 puts it this way therefore brothers we have confidence to enter the most holy place By the blood of Jesus we have confidence see as Christians we are totally confident to waltz right on in to the presence of God anytime day or night doesn't matter who we are doesn't matter what we've done we come into his presence whether whether it's you know when we pray to him or whether it's when we come into his presence on that final day when we stand before him face to face there in heaven totally confident now we're not scared at all. But yes, we are. Because there's another real sense in which we remain scared of God. See, I reckon the Christian life is a little bit like being a beekeeper. It's a bit like being a beekeeper. See, is a beekeeper scared of his bees? Well, yes, of course he is. So He doesn't just walk up to the hive and start playing with them. No, he's scared. So what does he do? He takes precautions. He goes and he puts on his protective suit. Now is he scared? Well, no. Now he's perfectly confident to go up and do whatever he wants with his bees. Is he scared? No. But if he's not scared of his bees, then why does he keep his protective suit on? Because he is scared of his bees still, isn't he? See, it's yes, no, yes. Yes. I think that's a little bit like the Christian life. We are scared of God. So we meet with him in the one place that's safe, Jesus Christ. Now we're not scared of him at all. Not at all. We're totally confident to be in the presence of God Almighty. And yet there's a sense in which we remain scared of God, scared enough to remain in Christ, to keep trusting in him, to keep following him. So it's yes, no, yes. So what about you? What about you? Should, should you be scared of God? Well, I guess the answer depends on who you are and where you're at at the moment. Friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're not in the tabernacle that is Jesus, if you're not trusting in him, following him, then, friend, you ought to be very scared of God indeed. Indeed. In fact, you ought to be trembling in your boots. If it is you, then can I encourage you to do something about that today? To come to Jesus, to come to him. For friend, there is no other way to safely dwell in the presence of God. You should be scared. However, if you're here today and you are a Christian... If you are in the tabernacle, that is Jesus. If you're trusting in him and you're following him and yet you're scared of God, not sure if you're acceptable to him, really struggling to have assurance of salvation, not sure if his wrath still remains on you, then friend, can I say to you, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. You have full, free, unlimited and safe access into the presence of God Almighty now and forevermore. He's your Heavenly Father. And in Christ, you can be completely confident. Friend, you should not be scared. But finally, if you're here today, and you are a Christian, if you are in the tabernacle that is Jesus, but you have become so complacent about being there that you're no longer scared of God. If perhaps, I don't know, you're considering chucking it all in, following Jesus no more, I don't know, maybe you've been toying with the idea of of leaving your spouse to go and have that affair. Maybe, I don't know, you've been You've decided living for your work is more important than living for Jesus. Maybe you've been tossing up living a a gay or lesbian lifestyle. Perhaps perhaps you've been flirting with that non-Christian. Perhaps you've decided that the joys of alcohol outweigh the joys of obedience. If that is you, then my Christian brother... My Christian sister, can I say to you, be very scared indeed. Be terrified. Quake in your boots and then allow that fear to cause you to remain in Jesus. To turn your back on those other things and to keep following him. Like the beekeeper whose fear of his bees keeps him wearing his protective suit stay in jesus won't you and stay safe well let's pray father god we acknowledge now that you are an awesome all-powerful and holy god that as sinners we ought to be scared of you and yet father in your great mercy you have provided us with a way to safely meet with you we thank you for Jesus we thank you that in the tabernacle of Moses you pointed us to him and showed us that in Jesus we have full free and unlimited access to you father thank you that in Christ we have no need to be scared of you and yet father we pray that we would never become so complacent of that fact that we stop fearing you help us all to stay in christ and enjoy that confidence that comes from living in him for it's in his name we pray amen